bum bum bottom 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 bum
So I'm going to start with, I found issue five of Angel Love. And that's one of the comics that you do have a list going. I'm actively collecting. I refuse to buy them online. So if you guys tweet at us, hey, look, I found all of the issues of Angel Love online. I don't want that. I want to find them in the wild. And weirdly, when I'm looking, like if I'm going to the A section to find Angel Love, it will not be there. But if I go to a dollar bin... Maybe one time out of 10, I'll find an issue of Angel Love. And actually, we found out later that this is a double whoops. But <laughs> <laughs> So we have now two, two copies of issue five. But what a thrill for me to find this in the, in the stacks. What is it about Angel Love that speaks to you as a reader? Well, it is an 80s romance comic in such a cartoony style, it is like halfway between a romance comic and Kathy in yeah, the yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Barbara a, Slate? Yes, it's by Barbara Slate. And it is meant to be like for adults. So it, within the first two issues, Angel is counseling one of her friends through an abortion. This fifth issue is about her mother dying, but it looks like a comic strip. It's so it's like a, such a bizarre little artifact, and it's really fun and well written, and I love the characters. And all I know about Angel Love is at some point, Angel, there's a close up panel of her face, and she's just shouting the word cocaine. <laughs> That's the panel I that I see all the time. And I don't have that issue. I okay. don't have the cocaine issue. All right. All right. Um, Angel is a cartoonist, and she draws the little angel that comes to life and like counsels her. It's so bizarre, and I love it. I want to get into it as well, but I'm waiting until you have uh, gathered up all the issues. What else did you get? Okay, so this. <laughs> this is the one I'm most excited about. This fall, falls under the category of. This is so weird, I have to have it. Uh-huh. And it is the premiere issue of Night Cat. Oh, yeah. America's hottest singing sensation is now Marvel's newest superhero. Okay, Lisa, this is a comic cover that I've seen online. I've, 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 I've heard, like, whispers of Night Cat, but I don't really know what Night Cat's deal is. So let me reveal to you some of my deep research in, in that I read one Wikipedia article. That's, that's the Comic Book Couples Counseling way. So apparently um, someone at Marvel Comics was looking for, like, a new way to market comics, and so they've found this up-and-coming pop singer named Jacqueline Tavares or, or Jackie Tavares and they decided to release her first album alongside her first issue of her comic starring her and if you look at the back they also have a special edition collector's item <laughs> t-shirt signed by the Night Cat and Stan Lee oh okay and <laughs> This, feel this um, comic. Yeah. This is a nice comic. I mean, this is a prestige format book. You know, like this is like the black label of its day, the Marvel version of it. So they've tried to have like, they had tried something with Dazzler, having Dazzler have a music album, but it just like never came together. And yeah, and like, so the script here is written by Stan Lee. The art is done by Dennis Cohen and Jimmy Palmiotti. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I yeah. mean, it looks great inside. I love the interiors. The cover is, what is it, uh, uh, Joe Jesco. So cool. Yeah, uh, Jacqueline had a rude awakening about how comics work because she saw the cover and she was like, <laughs> is that what the entire comic is going to look like? Ooh. And they're like, no, often we have a per different person do the interiors. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I think is 
extra wild about this is this was a huge monetary investment. A holding company was created. They put all of the biggest names on this Nightcat comic, including they got Jim Lee to design the costume. They sent Jacqueline Torres all over the country doing daytime television, promoting this comic. An album was made. It has nine tracks, some of which actually have Jacqueline Torres' voice on it. Many of them have the voice of studio musician. Oh, I had her name right here. Nikki Gregoroff. Okay. <laughs> who, uh, yeah, who kind of, I guess, ghost voiced a lot of the tracks on this album. And they put this comic out and they put this album out and the album failed to chart. The comic didn't do particularly well. And then they just give up on the whole thing. You can find the album on YouTube yes. to listen to. You can purchase a version of it on Amazon right now for $90. But to me, my heart goes out to Jacqueline Torres. Sure. I have no idea how old she is, but I'm guessing she's like late teens, early 20s. She looks like a young woman. Yeah, back in 1980, has, whatever, 1991, I think. 1991, yeah. And she has record executives and Stan Lee and all of these people saying this is going to be the biggest, hottest thing. They give it one shot and then they just drop it like I a hot potato. I would love to see a documentary about Nightcat, right? Yes, I want to know how she's doing. Is she okay? Did she continue being a model or doing music or something? Like she does have a um, an IMDb page. Yeah, well, I want to hear what you think of the comic book when you get done. Like you, you know, like you said, they put their top tier talent on it. The interior. Look great. The cover is amazing. I am super curious. It's kind of like a Dazzler concept tried to be transformed into the real world. Yeah. Um, it got some mixed reviews, including Adam Troy Castro of Elsewhere Magazine. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he called it a cynical gimmick and said that she looked like a, a biker slut Wolverine. Oh, and I, I, and you I know think what? <laughs> I want a biker slut Wolverine. Who doesn't? That doesn't sound like a criticism to me. That sounds like a selling point. Oh, that's a great uh, handful of comics there, Lisa. I, I, I had some success as well. Um, I won't go into it too much. We've been discussing your your selections for a bit. Um, but my, like my biggest takeaway from our Third Eye Comics trip was a stack of Harvey Picard's American Splendor books. When it was being published by Dark Horse and when it was being published by DC Vertigo, I've read Picard in the past. I was a huge fan of the movie. But the Picard that I've read is mostly the stuff that was illustrated by R. Crumb. Uh, the Picar American Splendor comics that are illustrated in this are done by cats like Darwin Cook. Uh, we've got Chris Somney. We have Gilbert Hernandez, Hoche Anderson, wow. Dean Haspiel. Like, it's going to be uh, Ty Templeton. I mean, Rick Geary. Uh, Derek Robertson. I'm I'm excited to dig into this fat stack of American Splendor comics. And I love that American Splendor at one point was being published by DC. Yeah. Um, I, I had forgotten that fact. Uh, so, yeah, a successful trip to Third Eye Comics, bargains and buys. Yeah, I love to look at what the selection is and then write a story of, in my head about the person who unloaded all of their yep. American Splendor yep. comics yep. 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 or yep. all of their Badger comics. Yep, 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 yep. yep. 
and, and oh, I also found the first issue of Sleepwalker. Yeah, you did. For a decent price, for a dollar. Uh, and Sleepwalker was like one of those comics, like probably one of my first 100 comics that I got when I was collecting back in the 90s. And I adored that character. And it's been too long since I revisited those issues. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into some Sleepwalker now. I get some sort of satisfaction in digging through the dollar bins and rescuing these comics out from them, yes. right? Because these creators put so much of themselves into these works, and then for whatever reason, you know, Nightcat just doesn't catch on. It doesn't become the sensation that so many people were hoping it was going to become, and then it just rots away in these long boxes in these various comic book stores across the country. And then along come Brad and Lisa, and they go, oh, this looks interesting. Let's 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 pull this out. Let's explore it and like, oh, let's find the quality that's still there. And there are a ton of circumstances why a book would end up in the dollar bin. Maybe it's because way too many were produced and it was a mediocre comic and there it is. But there's always like the off chance of like, hey, this was an undiscovered gem of its time. Or the person who is sorting the comics at third eye had has some knowledge in one area, but not in the area of whatever's in this. So there is that kind of panning for gold quality when you hit those dollar bins and it's exciting. And we're not talking about like finding something, oh man, I found Night Cat, number one, premiere issue, and it's worth $7 million. No, it's, it's worth like, a dollar. <laughs> it's, worth the, it's worth sitting down and reading and thinking about and really enjoying. It's worth an afternoon. But none of those comics had the gall or the guts to name themselves masterpiece like Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Mayleaf have done with their current series from Dark Horse Comics, Masterpiece. I hate to be a pedant. But I'm totally going to be. I think you love to be. A we pedant. colloquially, I do. <laughs> we colloquially. Oh, that's such a word, hard word to say. We colloquially use the word masterpiece completely wrong. We use the word masterpiece as if it means like this is the object, this is the piece of a master, and you can tell by the quality. This is the highest quality. It's the best of the best. Exactly, but that's not what masterpiece means. So a masterpiece would be a piece that an amateur would show to the guild to show that they're worthy of being part of the guild. So a masterpiece is just like something that is qualifying as a professional level. So masterpiece is probably the first piece you did that before you became a full-time professional. And then you probably went on to make better and better pieces. And the reason this bothers me for some reason is because I know that there must be another word out there for what we colloquially call a masterpiece. And I don't know what that word is and it's driving me crazy. Like if you were writing a review of a comic or a movie and you would say like, this is a masterpiece, we don't actually mean masterpiece. Right. We mean something along the lines of like, oh, this is a triumph. This is sensational. This is amazing. Yeah, but there's no word for like, this is... This is the best, like, example like, of this individual's work. The ultimate? Like, this is the ultimate Bendis and Mayleave collaboration? Yeah, but that's that's not a noun. I want a noun. I, I mean, I don't have it on deck right now. 
Neither do I. Somebody has to, somebody knows. How it pertains to the Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Mayleaf comic is that Masterpiece is the name of the central character. She's a teenage girl who discovers that her parents were these master criminals. They were the criminals' criminals. They were so famous that movies have been made about them, but they disappeared a long time ago, leaving her alone until a billionaire named Zero Preston comes to her doorstep and tries to leverage her as a form of payback against her parents that stole billions of dollars from him. Bendis and Mayleaf are longtime collaborators. I think the first time we encountered their work was through Daredevil, but they first got together on Sam and Twitch, and since then they've done Moon Knight and Scarlet. But based on this first issue that we got to read, it feels like they are upping their game a little bit or widening their game. Mm. Masterpiece is much more playful than what we've gotten from them before. You know, Mayleave is getting to do so many different types of illustration in Masterpiece. And they've even invited Brian Michael Bendis in to illustrate Masterpiece's web comics that mm -hmm. she has gained a little bit of attention for. What makes Masterpiece so fun is that it is an intergenerational crime story where we have Zero, who is the oldest, older than Emma's parents. Then we have Emma's parents, and now we have Emma. And each generation has a different perspective and a different set of skills and a different set of ideologies. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how these interplay and conflict and move the story forward. And a different set of styles. Yeah. Right, yeah. Which yeah. is reflected in the art brilliantly. And when I got done with this issue, not only did I want to pull down all my Mayleave and Bendis comics and go through and revisit their past works, it made me want to like seek out similar stories, like watch crime films mm -hmm. of those various eras, find the crime comics of those various eras. And I think it leads really well into our next segment, which of course is... Referrals! As always, this segment is sponsored by Omnibus. Omnibus is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date. Just like your local comic book store, you pay per book, but digital. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their new next favorite book. They feature top-tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next new favorite book, we have our referrals segment. The idea is to give our counselees, that's you guys, further reading on the themes of the episode. Think of it as us sending you to specialists to further your healing journey through comic books. And... Omnibus is now browsable and shoppable on any browser, on any device. You don't need the iPad app. You can just go to the link in the show notes and start shopping. Any old screen is potentially a comic book, and that is exciting. So, Lisa, with Masterpiece at the forefront of your imagination, what is going to be your referral this week? So when I think crime comics... I think of the team, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. That's like a duh. That's a duh. Um, <laughs> and um, I picked Destroy All Monsters from the Reckless series. Uh, so good. Because it focuses on the relationship of Ethan and Anna. So Ethan is a private investigator who is always, like, uh, career-wise, like, on the rocks. We never know how it's going to go. And he also owns and runs a movie theater for a short time. And that's how he meets 
Anna. So Anna uh, is was a little punk rock kid who um, was vandalizing his theater and then breaking in and watching movies at night. And um, he eventually takes her under his wing when he is a full-on adult and she is like a teen. And so at the beginning of their relationship, they, it was much more like, hey, I'm an adult, I'm gonna show you the ropes, I'm your mentor. And as their relationship progresses, he doesn't initially recognize how that dynamic is changing and that they eventually stop being adult and kid and start becoming much more of like codependent peers. She is an important part of his movie theater business, but also his investigative business. And he's kind of in denial about how essential she is to him until in this volume. And I think that volume ends with a pretty shocking revelation yes. that we're still waiting to see resolved in the Reckless series. And of course, like Brubaker and Phillips have decided to take a little bit of a hiatus this past year from telling Reckless stories. Instead, they did like Night Fever and this month they've got Where the Body Was coming out. And they're all great. And, yeah, they're they're great. Where the Body Was might be one of the best comics of the year. Uh, so, you know, get that in your hands before you make any top 10 lists, friends. Um, but yeah, I, I need them to get back to Reckless so we can figure out the whole Anna storyline. But Reckless is such a great series in that you can pick up and start anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And there are yeah. multiple volumes on Omnibus that you can check out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also picked a Phillips book, but not Sean Phillips. I picked a book from his son, Jacob Ooh. Phillips, <laughs> who is a former guest of Comic Book Couples Counseling. Uh, he and Chip Zdarsky did a crime series called New Burn, or actually they're kind of in the middle of New Burn still. Like Masterpiece, the title refers to the central character, Easton Newburn, who is a private detective. He also has a counterpart in his assistant, Emily, and together they navigate the criminal underworld, but also the corrupt police forces around them. Uh, the book reminds me of like a classic 70s, you know, like, cop show or something like The Equalizer, mm. where, you know, every week there's a new event that happens that they they get their hooks into and they think it's one thing but then it reveals itself to be another thing and then it spiders into other storylines that start to bump up and touch each other Ooh, that sounds awesome what differentiates it from those classic cop shows of yesteryear is chip zardarsky who has this wry ability to tear down cliche yeah yeah his sense of humor like people get their sense of humor from different places and his gets like he has like a, a truth brain like his brain goes to the true thing. And sometimes that true thing is just like so wild and hilarious. So if you've been reading Zdarsky's writing through, you know, his Batman run and his Daredevil run, and you want something a little bit more image comics, head on over to New Burn. And of course, like Jacob Phillips is really coming in into his own with the Enfield Gang Massacre and New Burn. And it's just really exciting to watch. And uh, yeah, like highest recommendation for New Burn. Uh, several of the volumes are available on Omnibus, just like the Reckless books. Referrals. 
Now, returning to Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Mayleave, Masterpiece is coming from Dark Horse Comics on December 13th, a few weeks from today. This conversation is built to hype you up for that book, uh, but it's it's special in a lot of other ways, too. Obviously, Bendis and Mayleave have been on this whirlwind press tour promoting Masterpiece, but our interview with them was actually the first one that they did, and they had not seen each other even through through a Zoom room in quite a mm -hmm. while. So before we even hit record, Bendis and Mayleaf had this really delightful like reintroduction to each other where they were just like geeking out and getting excited about seeing each other face to face. And we were just kind of like flies on the wall observing it. Yeah, yeah. I loved every second of it. And it carries uh like this this extra bolt of energy in this conversation. Yeah. So we we you know we talk about masterpiece, but we really just dig into the secret origin of Bendis and Mayleave and what they do so well together. You know us, we on Comic Book Couples Counseling, we're always trying to pull out those like life lessons. And I feel like they are a prime example of how to be collaborators and friends and the kind of romantic balance that that takes. It's just really inspirational to me personally. Brian and Alex, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Hello. Thanks for the proper introduction. I will say my favorite, I listen to a lot of podcasts and my favorite podcasts are the ones when the, the guest goes, are we recording? They go, oh yeah, we've been recording the whole time. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I, no. No sneak attacks. This is not gotcha journalism. I accidentally did that to Stanley many years ago and it was one of the great days of my life. We were doing <laughs> interview for wizard magazine and uh it was a creator on creator interview and uh we were taught and i i barely knew stan at the time he was racist that he'd he had agreed to do this and we were talking it was just before the first sam raimi movie came out and they were trying to get steve ditko to sign the papers that would say he was the co-creator spider-man he just wouldn't sign them he just didn't care and and stan was in the throes of the frustration of just give the money to charity give the money to your kids just to, to, don't make it say created by stanley no one's gonna know you do, you don't care and uh and then he goes hey when are we recording we're like oh we're recording he goes oh no 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 <laughs> you can't turn it on and turn it off you got to be a genuine person all the time that's oh, what man. i say that's right oh all man right. Well, so as huge fans of you two, it's like always an event when we get a book from you. Uh, why was now the time to get back together? Because I finally got to it. Because he finally got to it before. Because I finally got to it. This is my fault. It's been in the worst. We've talked about this for, I don't know, last couple of years at least. Brian uh, suggested we do this maybe even four or five years ago. And I finally got to it. That's why. That's the short answer. We were wrapping up Scarlet, which is a much darker book in, in content and tone. Our best work. Our, our, absolutely. I, our our best definitely work. Alex's best work. As definitely far as, my best work. Okay. And, um, and, but, but at the same time, it's a book that takes place in Portland and about Portland becoming the centerpiece of a civil unrest in this country and it actually started happening in exactly the same locations that Alex was drawing the book, his his choices were immaculate. And um, when we wrapped it up, I was like, 
the next one will be as challenging but more fun. Yes, but you had the location scripted. It, it wasn't my choice. You had them already in the script, and I came. Remember with I, the camera? I did, but we we talked about this in length, and I came to Portland just for the um, location scouts, and we shot a lot of uh, pictures uh, from where the action took place. And yeah. then, how many years later, this whole thing happened? Mm -hmm. It was like, and you would send me uh, articles and 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 pictures from newspapers of the things that I drew and actually did happen in real life. That's, that was so, insane. So we, you know, we're very chuffed that our, our creative relationship <laughs> could also make a creator owned comic. Like some, some creators that like they're, they're good in the, in the work for hire space and some creators are good in the creator owned space, but when they switch, it doesn't always work for some reason. There's just something about it. And I was like, well, I hope me and Alex would be able to take everything we've learned doing Daredevil and all the other projects we've done at Marvel and, and apply it to something elevated and Scarlet proved that we could. And I was like, oh, good. And then I wanted to just do more. And so I said to Alex that this next project would be more quote unquote fun uh, uh, in the dangerous crime area slash fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I've been cooking this idea for years. So even though it feels like for you that we took some time off, it never feels that way. Like it's on my mind daily, like either I'm typing or we're working or, and also he's been drawing this behind the scenes now all year. So it, for me, it feels like we've, it's, it's constant. It's all the time. So we now have years under our belt, which is a, a unique experience. And and uh, until you experience it, and like people are constantly showing us our work. So it's constantly in my life. So it doesn't even like stuff from 20 years ago is fresh as a daisy because it's someone's brand. They just read it. Yeah. Like Marvel put out like three trades of our stuff, like big stuff, our Iron Man run, our Daredevil run. So that it's new to a lot of uh, readers or it's their first time experiencing it. And so it's, it's, in our face that way all the time. It never feels we, Yeah, especially when we go to conventions, they start bringing in the books. And and we get to sign a lot of books, which goes to show you we've been together for, what, 25 years now? <laughs> Something like yeah, that. Love it. <laughs> well, I've been reading since then. I was reading your Daredevil run off the rack. Uh, I, I've been a, a fan for a long time. But I've always kind of been curious as to when you know a certain project is a Brian and Alex project. Like why is masterpiece a Brian and Alex project? Why is Scarlet a Brian and Alex project? Well, it was created. Like I, I take my relationship with Alex and, and other creators that I have like long-term like Gatos and Oming and Alex, I, we've been together for many years and um, with adult, uh, with adulthood comes, um, with adulthood comes, like you understand how special that is. Like, not only are you grateful for it, but then you go, oh my God, this is very special. I, I'm one of the few people that has this. So I will take it very seriously. Not unlike you, you take your marriage very seriously and you give it as much, uh, as much as it needs to thrive and, and, and be the best version of itself. So I, I I'm Alex's biggest fan. I have been since the nineties. He knows this. I wanted to be Alex when I was when I was drawing. You've said I, this before. I know that. I remember this. And and it like uh, of the many artists I work with, the one I was trying to be the most like like I know in my heart is Alex. And and so I look at his craft 
with with more than just envy with the the, the not only can can I not do it, but now I'm responsible for making sure that whatever he's doing is worth his goddamn time. Mm. Like, like, oh, if he can do this and and he's willing to do it with me, then it should be up to me to make sure that what we're what I'm giving him is emotionally honest, that it's thematically something worth his time. I I I just I take people's time very seriously. It's the most valuable thing they have. And especially when you're building something from scratch, it's like you know, I, I know it sounds weird. It's like, like, Hey, you want to have a baby? Cause we're going to raise it. Like, <laughs> uh, like, like it's not romantic, but we built, we have a baby and it's, and it's and like, you know, we've now Scarlett's like 12 years old. She's a, she's a preteen. And, uh, and so we, we have to raise these babies and, and take care of them. And, and if Hollywood comes calling, you know, that that's something we have to deal with. And mm -hmm. that is really important to, to how I write for him. So it's, it's all about, giving something worth Alex's time. And I have also learned, I learned this on Daredevil, that if I'm writing towards valuing Alex's time, the reader benefits top to bottom. Like, like, like the, all that's all my job really is, is to inspire the best I can and get the fuck out of the way and let everyone enjoy it. And mind you, if you, if you read, uh, thank you so much, Wilbur. Uh, if you read Brian's scripts, they, they're addressed to the artist. So whenever I read, um, his script. I know that he's talking to me. It's about taking not only the the craft of the relationship, but the the length of the relationship. The length of the relationship. Yeah. So we, Brian, when when you write for me, you write for me, and I, I know this. So when I draw, I draw the book not just for me. I draw it for you, because I know that this is between us. This is the baby. So as parents, we gotta satisfy each other in a way that uh, we want to continue this relationship in the future. So I try not to disappoint him. Does and, it make and sense? Yeah, and they, I totally. And then on top of it, it's we've accomplished some things, and I'm not. Um, I know we have, and uh, I want to top them, and I want to do something else, and I don't want to repeat um, uh, some choices, even though some of those choices are my favorite choices we've ever made. <laughs> I know, I, but you see, the, in this book, it's different. It looks different. The okay. style is different. I went for something uh, that I didn't feel comfortable doing very much, which is, again, as always, I try to simplify things uh, as much as I can. And it's the hardest thing to do, uh, I'm sure, in writing, too, to be succinct, oh. succinct in a sentence. It's For me, it's just, just to draw a line, uh, a face with just one line. And that's only Alex Toth can do this. Mm. Mm. So we Alex doesn't to, know this, but I've slipped the book to a couple of our friends, um, the 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 ones I can really trust before, and we're about to tonight send it to like all of our friends and um, our friends that are very 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 um, uh, very feisty in what they like and what they don't <laughs> like, like like the, the hardest audience, and uh, and some of them got emotional about Alex's choice. Oh, don't tell me, please. I'm afraid. Like I'm. I like, know. I know. That's I didn't tell you. Anyway, so but 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 they they saw where you're going and were like like fist in the air cheering and, and that's I, when an artist of your caliber should be doing. I hope that this this is the beginning of it. I I hope I can take it and improve on 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 what I do, and I I think I know how to do this by now. But it's every time it's just a surprise. Like I I look at it and I go, I complicated, too complicated. Just too many lines, too, just too many things that are happening in in one panel. How can I, you know, and doing this digitally, uh, by the way, on a tablet allows me to just like you could not use whiteout on a 
type machine. I can just erase that pedal and, and do it over and over and over. And sometimes that's why it takes longer because we have the means to do these things. And I, I just can't stick to a decision at the end of it. That That's, I wish I could. I've, I've read interviews where you have like waxed poetic about your love of the paper and the ink and, and that whole process. And now you've just opened a can of worms with for yourself with the like infinite of possibilities of of working digitally. What? Why did that you is, make that, that choice? True, but it, it, it's what happened was my background is in in printmaking and etching, so mm -hmm. I've handled paper pretty much throughout my whole years in the academy and and uh, in high school. I love paper. I buy tons of paper, different brands, different kinds, uh, different cult, hot press, all kinds of different papers. But when we work on a deadline, you got to do sometimes the dirty job digitally. Mm -hmm. Sadly, uh, this is what keeps the deadlines going for me. So but we started doing this uh, during the Daredevil years, by the way. Yeah, as I was going to say, Alex okay. is doing... Uh, digital work on Daredevil decades ago, uh, before it was anywhere near the industry standard, he kind of kept it to himself. And also, if you look at it, you can't tell. Right. Like, yeah, digital work of that era had an had an edge to it, uh, like a voice to it, and you can't tell. Alex had invented filters. He had invented pens and brushes that uh, before people were doing it, I, it just, he was doing it real low key. And I used to come over his apartment and watch this stuff going. Still the same brushes and st still the same textures from the Daredevil days. I still use the same set of brushes, believe That's it a, or not. Yeah. And, and, and what you're saying is true that I did keep it low key because I didn't want people to know because it was so early in the game that it didn't want to give up uh, the secret to it, the magic. No, also, you know I, mean? I didn't want people to didn't do it. understand the language of it. Like you didn't, you once tried to explain it to one of our friends and you were like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just wait. I'll just wait till it becomes part of the vernacular. Yeah. I, I realized that, and I still have this, the, the Wacom tablet that I bought way back uh, was the, the 22 inches, one of the first ones, I think, from the production line Wacom hat. It's like maybe in the first 10 or 15, looking at the Alex, serial numbers. Alex, I got to tell you, I haven't been online all day because I've been teaching and yeah. you sound like you're in World War Z. <laughs> I just haven't checked, the, I haven't checked the, the news. Is everything okay out there? Yeah, why? <laughs> to me, it's just hell's just right? yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot, oh, it's just New York, okay. Yeah, that's just New York. Just, and I live in a quiet place in Brooklyn. That's just what I hear all day long. Okay, <laughs> So I love listening to you guys talk about your creative relationship and you say that it is not romantic, but to like, to me, it sounds extremely romantic. You find someone, there's a spark there, you decide to explore it and like dig down into it. And I feel like you can't create that kind of um, creative relationship with just anyone. Like, would you recommend to an artist studying out like, find someone you spark with and then then um foster that yes 100% and and I again when i when i said romantic i meant like you know like uh, you know, like here's the thing I, I used to like there's a lot of connection between like what a creative relationship is and what a like emotional romantic relationship totally. is like my marriage, like in my relationship with Alex, there are similarities. Obviously, there's huge differences as well. You know, and what, also, what are they? 
<laughs> but we used to talk about this back in a time where I ignorantly didn't realize that some people were taking advantage of that space and some people didn't feel safe in it, whereas me and my friends did feel safe in it. So I would talk about it that way. But now we've learned that some people, you have to be protective of yourself in that space, that it's very vulnerable and emotional and uh, that that not everyone's built to, to do it correctly. So yes, I... My relationships, in particular, my relationship with Alex, from day one, you go, this is important to me, and I'm going to cultivate it for uh, for forever, for as long as possible. And and so every creative choice we make is based on, 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 on those choices. What can I give Alex that will make him inspired to do this, this track that he's on? Like, I'm so excited this has inspired something new for him. That, that, that I know it's worth both of our time just on that level alone, right? And so from there, I then start building what these characters would be, what's unique about them, what I wanted. I mean, some of this is fully an answer to some things I wanted in crime fiction that I wasn't getting from other from other sources. So yeah, it's ex exciting to, to explore all of that. But yes, for younger creators, if you meet your people, you celebrate that it is so exciting and i am i'm making comics with some people i met my first day in like the first people i met i'm, I'm we're still together and people i met last year and and we're making comics so these relationships build and cultivate over the years and sometimes you 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 go separate ways and you have different paths but it's still that time you spent together can be so magical so yeah i, I take it very seriously so we've read a lot of self-help books you know i i love i like i'm like addicted to them i love reading relationship help books and like one of the uh signs of a good marriage a good romantic relationship is that the way that you tell the story of your relationship is one of challenge and triumph. And mm -hmm. I and I noticed when you guys work together, you do have that relationship where it's like, you're not going to go the easiest route. You're going to continue to top the last thing that you did or challenge yourself in a different way. Is that something that you do purposefully or is that something that you just, those that's part of your principles as creators to challenge oh. yourself? Both. I, I, I'm, I'm a big pop culture professor, nerd. I follow the careers of all of my heroes with minutia and try to learn the lessons that they're offering from their experiences. And I often look very fondly at people who have long journeys together as bands or comedy groups or, or like just the, just the evolution of a, of a, of a team of collaborators, no matter what places and in, including in our space and comics and I and I look at those and I and I try to learn the lessons and take them from there also what you're feeling a little bit just to give you a little extra thing is that um just a couple of weeks ago I handed in the the all the text for Alex's Marvel art book they asked mm -hmm. me to write like the text for David Mack and Alex's book so I have recently excavated all of my emotions and feelings and memories of our entire relationship going back to our time on Sam and Twitch and, and the crow together in the 90s and so I'm I'm very freshly like uh, in, involved with my feelings about Alex and his work and what did I tell you I wasn't gonna read it <laughs> never read it never heard a word from him I wrote two giant essays one for David one for Alex 
David read both of them, and I heard his response to both. Alex read none of them. That I is, told you I was not going to read it. I don't want to be. I'm feeling embarrassed. I don't want to read it. <laughs> and, and like, here's the thing: the publisher wrote me to tell me how emotional it was and how beautiful. So, and the fact that I'd never heard from Alex, I laughed and laughed and laughed. It was so funny. Well, would you be upset if I told you that that's the only one thing I'm not going to read? <laughs> no, I, I get it totally. Because what if you read it and you had a completely different memory of it than I did? And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fine with whatever you did. <laughs> but just the, the earliest memory that I, I will tell you is that like when we first, like I, I, I'd seen Alex's work. He was working on The Crow for Kitchen Sink. And David and I, David Mack and I had found his his work and we were really blown away. And, and I remembered like, of what I imagined my peer group. I imagine everyone making black and white comics of, of that era. Like, like we're all around the same age, I assume. Like, like we're 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 like I I don't know why I thought that, but I, I did. I thought that. And I assumed that of my peer group, my imaginary peer group, Alex is the best one. And I wished I was working with him or knew him, blah, blah, blah. And then lo and behold, like quickly we got offered to write a crow series together. And we go, can we do it with mm -hmm. Alex? And then they went, yes. And we're like, oh my God, we're working with that guy who's working with like, and then the Crow series never happened because 90s. And um, and then quickly I was um, on Sam and Twitch for Todd McFarlane and we were soon in, in need of an artist for that. And I was like, I, I think I got the guy. And and so on on the on, when I was working with Alex on Sam and Twitch, I would... I was still a writer artist. I was still writing and drawing and lettering and designing my own work. So it was never clear to me where the writing stopped. So mm -hmm. I would often write and then draw the whole book and then give them the artist, like yeah. give out, like here's, here's a- Storyboarded like, the script. Yeah, you storyboarded- Not stick figures. Like, like here, here, here's my choices. And then Alex was genuinely cool about it and did his thing and, and went about his day. And then I got fired off of Sam and Twitch. And then I was off to Daredevil. And then while that was going on, Alex was still on Sandwich Twitch. And he went from my full scripts with layouts to Todd McFarlane uh, calling him on the phone and telling him the script. Yeah. Right, which right. Is, which is like almost Marvel style, but like even like Alex is like jotting down. And then I saw Alex's work through that lens. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, I was strange. Angling Alex. I was, I was, I was choking him out with all of my thoughts, right? I was like, I was not collaborating. I was like, uh, I was so I was immediately ashamed of it. Like and, yeah, and but wait, because wait. I was I was I was looking at Al, uh, at Todd's behavior as like I thought Todd wasn't giving him enough. And then when I saw it, I went, Oh, it's in the middle is where I should go. So when we were at, when I was on Daredevil and um Joe said, Hey, let's get you and Alex back together as the Daredevil team. I was like grateful, but then doubly grateful because oh, I know I know how to write for him. Like I I know I know I I and I I needed like those six issues and then Todd's six issues or how many issues it was to then then we got to Daredevil. We hit the ground running because I had figured it out. So I had gotten rid of a lot of my bad um, impulses as a creator and wrote to him. And yes, but that that was not necessarily a, a bad impulse because that way I learned how to do storytelling. Well, I, I, was learning, I was learning on the job. I, I was learning on the job. 
Yeah, me too. I mean, it all worked out, but that was when you were talking about triumph and thing that that was a big, that was a huge life lesson. It happened to be on, on Alex that it happened and he was gracious enough to just handle the process very well as, as you see. And then, then when we were ready to go and Daredevil was no looking back. And so then I understood what my job was in this relationship, like all the way through. And then every once in a while, like someone would throw us a, uh, like a weird side gig like halo and we're like yeah let, like we can't say no because it's so weird we have to say yes <laughs> alex can you go back to that point in time where you were going to join brian on daredevil having mm-hmm. just had some experience with him in salmon twitch and what your feeling was in that moment before you reunited uh when i found out yeah, like, uh, yeah, like, okay. What was I feeling before we were reunited? Well, before you reunited, but knowing that you are going to reunite, like, were well, you like, okay, it's the same Twitch guy. I know how to deal with this guy. Well, no, it's, it's, we had gotten to the point with Todd that it was a bit um, tiring to, to, to work from the phone calls because I had to take down notes. Uh, I had to figure out how to, he would just give me a call for like 20 minutes talk about what he wants to do and I had to figure out how to do 22 pages out of the whole thing. Uh, and when when this opportunity came knocking on the door, I was so happy and at the same time so relieved because mm-hmm. I was going to go back to, to fe- being comfortable mm-hmm. with the way I, I was with Brian. And I, to be honest with you, I mean, I knew about Daredevil, but I had not read any of the books that were prior to our run. So for me, this was a completely new challenge. And I still have not read any of the books. <laughs> I still have not seen any of the shows. Well, I'm joking, of course. You, know, you never saw the show? I'm joking. Oh, I, I was, I was <laughs> but like you had already done a run on Batman. He'd done Superman and that stuff at DC. So there was like yeah, a lot. Of... No Man's Land was just prior to this, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was there were a lot, a lot of lessons being learned uh, from both of us individually to come to the collaboration together, you know. And also we had also we were working for uh, Joe, mm-hmm. uh, the previous creator of on Daredevil, who was mm-hmm. So on top of the stress of just wanting to do a good job on this book, that means the world. I mean, I guess to me, because yeah. I'm the one who read Daredevil beforehand. But uh, like Frank Miller's Daredevil was why I was here. And and now, and Joe Quesada's Daredevil is a huge hit. And then we were following it and he was staring at us. Yeah. So mm. we had we had a lot to. That's think. true. That, that was that was pressure. Definitely was pressure. Yeah, but it was good. It was good. It was good pressure. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. But you mm-hmm. you damn well knew daredevil's biggest fan was your boss yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely you you knew it but also so, when he loved it and often did it was the biggest compliment because yeah. he joe really loves alex's work like really 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 loves it and doesn't love everybody and and so it was it was nice it was nice to see so jumping to the present now with masterpiece lisa and i have had the chance to read the first issue oh good i didn't know so Great. exciting about the issue is that you get the like you're playing in a lot of different styles just within this this first little chapter here. Uh we get to see a lot from Alex. And Alex, are you also illustrating the web comics? The unicorn stuff? pal? No, no, no. no. I thought so. Okay. I was okay. gonna say this book, this book is unique in that way because you get to, to see a page that Brian drew. It took like, me 
as yeah. much time to draw that one page as it took Alex to draw the entire first two issues. Two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> that is draft number nine. Was like, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about the points of view that this book has. I mean, you know, Emma, we're introduced to Emma in her classroom and it has like a particular style. And then we learn a little bit about her history. We imagine her history and it has like this very mod style. And yeah, then, of course, Uncle or or Avengers or yeah. and then we have the web comics, which has its own style. Um, talk about, you know, wanting to execute something that's kind of like a tour through these various um aesthetics well, well you know go ahead, Alex, go, ahead go ahead go ahead Brian. No, i was just say i remember when we were on daredevil and daredevil had a consistent style and then it just became clear that like as great as that is we're also holding alex back from the other things that he can do there, there's he has other tricks up his sleeve so we would often find as many story related reasons we could to change the style we did the retro styles and and the styles we did during the horror comics and stuff it mm -hmm. was specifically he can do this let's do it like let's let's use all the tools in the toolbox if we can and then so when this for our, for our creator owned it's just an an extension of that i like like at this point i don't know what he can to do so it's just like what would this look like and what would that look like and do you want to do it this way and how would you like i like particularly for the mod sequence like i threw out like 50 references and then and then he just uh, takes them in and 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 regurgitates them back in 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 the way he wants it done and it was ab not at all what i pictured and absolutely perfect not at all no, it, no. There was a couple oh of big. I hope no, not in the good way. In the good way, like I had a, I had like shapes in my head, and you did something else, and it was great. Yeah, that's my favorite part is when it's better than the thing that was in my head. That's all. That's what I'm addicted to. That's why I'm here. Because sometimes when it doesn't come the way you you actually picture it, um, it's how do you tell the other guy? Like this is this is the problem. How do you <laughs> no, I. It's not a problem. It to me, it's always like it's always a like yes and is is where I live. So it's like I wrote something that made you do that with it. Then I yes and what I then do with it. And like I often like I was like surprised, like like when you first started breaking down your style into those uh, to the minimalist place that you wanted to go to like i was definitely like writing those first pages in scarlet like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i was thinking that scarlet and then when i first saw the first pages immediately changed the way i was writing it to the to the template in which you you would laid out so that's that that's how it, it doesn't it doesn't make me go oh no it makes me go oh cool like some something a challenge in front of me and it's always it's always for the best but me. it took a while it took a while to get to and again i i'm not sure i'm there yet and i, I don't think i'll ever be uh but it took a while to get to the style that i wanted to use because i was sending you some point i was sending you just drawings you know uh, what the characters might look like and they were rough and i think um you gotta find the, the 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 golden ratio in this. It, you it, it can be just too loosey goosey, in the, in, but it can be too tight at the same time. It's it's hard to get it done. It's like you don't over want to don't want to overcook uh, the meat. It, yep. it, you don't want it to get dry and 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 boring. You want it to look minimalist, not rushed. Not rushed, but that's what he, Alex Toth does. Like if I can yeah. study his thing and, and teach a class on one of his drawings, he's that, 
goddamn good, that guy. He's just going to make you do that. I think he's going to come to Substack. Anyway, if you so, want to. Yeah, so it's 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 uh it's a matter of like, oh, I I have a, a, this a musician who can play all the instruments, then let's have them play all the, like let's let's create something that that allows that to happen. And if 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 not, then you know, kind of maybe wasting some time here. So it's a, it's really about that. Tired for the long end. Oh no. I'm like I was just thinking about him talking about how do I find the ratio between like well considered but also minimalist and i'm thinking about uh the character of emma where mm -hmm. she is so hyper capable she is really autonomous like she has her guardian but she you know she chooses her school she makes her own way in life she's like an extremely mature individual but at the same time she still has that naivete where it's yeah. just like if you tell your literalist story in your webcomic, somebody's somebody who you don't want to find is gonna find. You know what I mean? You've dealt a lot with like hyper capable individuals in the comic space. And you've always had to to balance that level of like naivete. How do you how do you draw that line of like here this is the direction where they have not matured. This is where where, yes. where they have room to grow. What a great question, by the way, because it, it is it is a space I spend a lot of my my headspace in. Because I am aware that like I write characters that are just beginning to understand how the world works or how mm -hmm. their world is going to work. That is definitely something I, I I I like from Peter Parker on up. It's it's like when Peter Parker figured out the kingpin's not going to jail no matter what I do. Mm -hmm. Oh, because the world sucks. Ah, like that, that, like, I think I just, that must, must have been a very profound moment in my life when I realized, like, uh, or I guess for me, it was a Richard Nixon ain't going to jail, like whatever, 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 whatever popular criminal of the day deserves some comeuppance and you realize it ain't going to happen, uh, that, and how the world really works versus how the world TV might've taught to the world works when you were younger. It's, um, it's a, it's a big one. So yeah, so it's, I, I'm inspired by people who kind of try to grab their reins and, and make their own way. And also those who are very confident and inspired to the point where they don't know that's unique about them. And that's, that's something with MI. I, 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 I know a couple of young women like this in, in, in my life who are, who are very, very ambitious and don't realize what a gift that is. Like it's just how they're wired. Right. And that, and that sometimes, and you're right, you said it perfectly, because that's where the, this character arc is going, is that there's something she's exceptional on. And like a lot of us, we lean into the stuff that, oh, I'm really good at this. And we'll lean into it, realizing that, and by doing so, you're forgetting another part of you that needs work. And, and maybe the part that needs work, the part that has abandonment issues and other things that may cause you to make choices that you don't, that aren't in your best interest, um... Maybe maybe you need to work on that more than the thing that you're good at. You know, maybe that's and so and and that's the kind of thing you learn when you're older. But when you're younger, it's just what's in the moment, and you can't even see. Like you were talking about, like Emma was writing a, a that webcomic, not knowing anyone was looking for her. Like she mm -hmm. wasn't she wasn't smart enough. Not, as soon as she found out, she took it the fuck down. But then <laughs> but it was just blown off steam, right? She's just trying to express herself. She couldn't see that there were maybe re repercussions, or, yeah. or or what they were. There's no way she was so. I also kind of like, and this is going back to my earliest days. One of the my my favorite things about about crime fiction is that you get to take a character and you get to grab him by the collar and you throw him up against the wall and you see what 
they're made of. Like that's what that's that goes back to like Humphrey Bogart. That that's a, it's and either they're gonna cower in the face of of the plot, or they're going to rise up mm-hmm. and fight their way out, or 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 find an in or find something in in their character that was unique that needs that now needs to be explored, and that that's how they're going to get their way out of it. And that's my favorite kind of writing. And so, what I wanted to do is create this this interesting world where Emma doesn't know all of this has happened. And I kind of like, 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 even like you look on Instagram, there's a lot of shit that happened in the nineties and people are like, really that happened. And for us, it was the biggest thing that happened in the nineties, but now I'm like, like people who are hugely famous that no one ever references now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so like there absolutely, if there was like a very popular vigilante that we heard about every day for like six years until like 1998, we wouldn't hear about it. Like, like that, that's like, to, like she wouldn't know who that is. That happened before she was born. Right. And so, so playing with the generation of memories and playing with generation of memories in a plot like this, like the plot that started happened decades before she was born. And now she has to deal with it. And I just kind of liked having a character dealing with generational trauma as a crime fiction plot. That was a unique idea to me. And I, and I got excited about it. I this love that like, so much. Oh, you go, Alex. Yeah, this is like if you if you knew who Dr. Z is, if you lived in New York, there's only a certain generation of people who know who Dr. Z is. That's it. Young mm-hmm. people have no clue. You guys don't know, right? You're going to have to Google that. <laughs> even, even watching, I, I remember when we were first like really putting pen to paper on this, they were out promoting the Pamela Anderson right. Tom and Tommy movie and how much work they had to do to remind people that this happened when when it happened it seemed to be all we heard about 24 hours a day so that 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 I had so many examples of that that that, that were like like you could introduce this to go no we we did we had a we had a big vigilante character and that's that's your uncle <laughs> never heard of him but yeah he was in the paper all the time and and think about the other the other uh coincidence that we this is our second book together we have a female young female uh rebellion protagonist and i had to do a different job so it doesn't mm-hmm. look like Scarlet you yeah. so that, totally that also was a challenge so people would look at this book and go oh no yeah yeah they did this already no this is a different different baby it's a, just a different baby well, also just the reaction, like, you know, having Scarlett speak to the reader and kind of make the reader culpable to the story, the very unique um, uh, literary experience versus mm-hmm. like, you know, the way we're experiencing um, Emma's choices as they as they go. Another thing that gets me excited about, like, putting a teen in a crime situation that seems to be gearing up to get a little heisty, like she's already getting her team together with um, Lawrence, with what I call plots and schemes type, like, you know, Ocean's Eleven or whatever, 100%. is like, when you have a heist, it's like your job to think about every single contingency. And it's your job to think about like, okay, if it goes this way, we'll do this. And if it goes this way, I'll do that. A heist is where exactly you find out where your blind spots are, mm-hmm. right? Because it because it's a thing that you don't think of that's going to get you. You know, do you ever think about that in your storytelling? Because you're you're writing a character who is Gen Z. Do you worry that you're going to heist yourself and you're going to find some kind of Gen Z blind spot that you didn't anticipate? 
Well, I don't use only my perspective on this story. I go yeah. to I, I I go to the source and I talk it through. And a lot of this is inspired by actual conversations and and uh, like uh, you know I I'm in a house with um, women of around this age who are looking at the world through unique eyes every single day, and that has inspired a great deal of the attitude that's going into this. Um, I'm also at an age myself where I've seen some of my friends. Some of my peers stop start talking like old people, and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> kids today don't know comics." I'm like, "Oh, come on, really, really? There's no good comics being made today." Like I heard some someone say, and I was like, "Oh, that is some old man bullshit." And 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 <laughs> as soon as you enter old man bullshit phase, you have now you're you're allowed to be heisted. You're you're mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're the target is real. So so it's 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 two these two. Um, things that I keep keep evolving in my life is watching um, all the young people in my life evolve in this very complicated space that we're in. Uh, Alex has it too with his kids. We're watching them evolve in a space completely different from the space we grew up in, right? But very similar emotions. And and then also watching the other generation of characters. I think you get a sense of this is kind of Emma's the star of the book, but there are six stars of the book, and they're of all the different generations. They all represent different philosophies and different points of view on how that's going to go, including what a vigilante from the nineties would look like by today's standards, you know, <laughs> how, how that reads by, by that and, and what parts, you know, and I'm also like fascinated by, and part of the DNA and none of it's going to be very clear, but like so much of the nineties is involved in our pop culture right now. Like mm -hmm. so much of it, including the fashion of it. So having those two things meet each other in our, in our comic in a unique way, watching the, 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 the history of the genre kind of meet the genre in modern time is something that I think can get us to what the next step, what the next level of a heist piece would be. And that's where, that's where we're headed. That's so interesting. Cause like, uh, you know, I am turning 40 this year on my birthday's in December. So like the 30 year cycle, this is like the first time that I'm experiencing it where it's just like, okay, the fashions from my childhood are like coming back. And like, yes, all, yes. you know, it's, it's just really, it's, it's an uncanny feeling for me, but. Um, for no, and it's stuff that I felt I was wearing because I, I, I didn't have a choice. And now, and now people are wearing it by choice and I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> mostly jean jean cuts that's what i'm talking about anyway oh yeah no, but yeah no. and also it's just fascinating how like our pop culture has shifted so dramatically over the last couple of decades that it doesn't resemble at all what it was like it's a completely new universe so i love like having those two universes meet it's almost like a multiverse of genre mm. it's 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 uh, something again it's just all in we're talking about very, very hoity terms, but all in, 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 in to give us a very fun, unique new story that lets us take these characters into places that surprise and delight us as creators. Like that's the whole point. But if you're asking where it comes from, that's where it's coming from is that I'm very inspired by the real world, very inspired by our feelings. About to, to, to also think about that we have kids at our home that yeah. actually belong to different generations altogether. And you, I see the difference between my son, who's 17, and my daughter, who's 11. Mm. They they are not in the same generation by no means. A completely different. That's unique. That's unique to this, this time. Yeah. I think, I, yeah. I think the boy is, is it, I feel closer to, to him in that way because he's 
well, I guess maybe he's getting older now and then starts to get the things that we do. But with with the daughter, it's just you have to adjust yourself constantly to the to the new uh, way of living. That's I mean, they they grow up with all the digital stuff. They grow up all, with all the phones. They're constantly connected. Um, it's yeah, we're in the challenging world. Yeah, no, I know. I was I was always fascinated how my old man just would manifest himself to my kids. And, <laughs> yeah, that that's exactly how. And, and me saying, you know, when I used to go to school, no matter how much drama was going on at school, you'd go home, and it's over till the next day, unless mm -hmm. there's a. Someone actually picked up the phone and dialed it. No yeah. one, no one was. You, you just find out tomorrow. You would get a break from the drama. There would be an actual, an actual timeout. So they don't and have it. And this is why I go analog with papers and and medium and paints and pencils and brushes and all that stuff because I get a break from the digital world that way. Yeah. it's a sanctuary. I I love the analog stuff. This is where interesting things happen. Yeah, that's and why the, I actually don't think it'll ever be replaced like there, there's the, the actual feeling of putting a pen on paper is very therapeutic for a lot of people you know i was having this conversation today with um, vincent d'onofrio i met him uh like around oh. lunch I'm, I'm dropping names here because well uh, we're gonna drop your name later so it's totally yeah <laughs> right. so i was having this conversation about ai and and then you know if if how i fear this more than he does uh, and, but I think that um, at the end of the day, you, you, you want to have a, a piece of artwork on the wall, which is what Brian has behind him right now. And I, I, I'm grateful for the fact that you hoisted up that Hellboy page up there just for that call. So I <laughs> see it. Uh, and I, I mind you, I took a screenshot of this so I know exactly where it is. <laughs> so the next time you in, visit <laughs> yes in, in in regards to all other pieces of artwork that you have up there so i know exactly where it is and if it's not the same height next time i talk to you <laughs> okay. first of all the two things number one this was on the other wall over there number, <laughs> okay, nice. number three, i'm moving the camera move the camera oh <laughs> number two up there yes all right, all right. stop your nonsense Amazing. I love it. It's real. Amazing. Amazing. It's real. So how right next to my Jim Lee. Right next to my Jim Lee Superman. <laughs> That's awesome. That's sick. How grounded is this crime world? Because like there, there's like crime where it's like, okay, there's true crime. Like if true crime is like zero, like I would feel like at like 45 degrees tip towards fantasy, you get like Mission Impossible, like where things are like, okay, that's kind of like, that's, that's pretty fantastical. Like how, like what, how, how far do you tip? I would, I would, I would say like in the elevated genre, like in between oceans and John Wick, like right. Okay. In the, the sweet getting, spot. Yeah, it's right in the sweet spot there. Like it, but it, but the emotions are real. The humanity is real. It's actually based more on some real true crime stuff, like the Gardner uh, uh, heist and BB Cooper and stuff like that, mm -hmm. than it, than it was any like film or anything like that. All the uh, all the what you call it, all the true crime, elaborate true crime things that people got away with. Though those mm -hmm. are the ones I'm, I'm the most 
inspired by as far as what we're doing here. Well, we can talk to you forever. We almost trapped you into talking to you forever, <laughs> but we have to release you back into the world. Now I got to go get my daughter. Got to go yeah. get her. All right. I, 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 first of all, thank you for reading it. That was very nice. I, I didn't realize that oh. happened, but I, I deeply appreciate it. And thank you for getting me on the phone with Alex, because this is something I've been trying to do for a couple of weeks. And it's, I, it's not a phone. It's a Zoom call. You know, I don't like Zooms. But you're <laughs> lighting. Look at your lighting. I How don't like it. it. I don't like it because I, I'm, 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 I don't know. I, okay. I, I don't like the way I sound. I don't, I don't like the way I look. I'm an old man now. Okay. Well, well, we'll I, be sure to send you the audio, Alex. Uh, I'm not going to listen to this. Totally, totally fine. <laughs> never, he doesn't know it happened. It's great. I know, I happened. By the way, this is decades of this. I, if you see, I'm complete. I, I knew. You I look would, exactly I, the same. Exactly the same. But exactly. what happened is, like, I wrote it even more emotionally because I know he's not going to see it, and then people are going to tell him about it for years, and then eventually he's going to take a peek. That's no, 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 no. Well, 75 year old Alex will <laughs> crack open the book, dust will come off it, and he'll go, Oh, he loved me. Anyway, there was, All right. so, there was so much more we could have told you about the book. I, I yes. want to finish up with this uh, just one minute. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, just like we did with Scarlett, and Scarlett actually, uh, the, the girl that uh, I use as a model, she turned 40 this year too, Brian. So we're getting old, goddammit. Uh, <laughs> So it's been a while, but uh, I do have a model that I use for Emma, and she is wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. She's great. She's great. And she, she to, to be honest with you, she's a brilliant student, uh, super intelligent girl. Like when I was listening to Olivia once in your house, and she was talking about documentary she wanted to, or she had just watched about the uh, elevator. Remember that one? My jaw had dropped. I was in awe of how intelligent she was. This Emma, the girl I use, is the same thing, man. That's super, amazing. Super, super smart girl. I'm very, very fortunate to have her as a model. Awesome. And this is by my one of my favorite parts of Alex's process that he casts the roles, he works with models, and, and then does his thing. It's this amazing. is the first book that I'm not a part of as a model. Because I'm just, yeah, I know, I, I'm gorgeous in real life, but I'm not going to be in the in the pages of this book. You it's, not being the paragon shocked the shit no, out. I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I, but I do have a buddy who is perfect for it. Uh, and then it's the first book that my wife is not a part of just yet. Oh, unless yet. you throw in, unless you throw in like an FBI agent and she's female, she goes right back. All right. We got more, more, more characters coming. You'll see. So yeah, we're going to uh, new characters every issue. And by the end of the first storyline, you're going to have a whole new world of characters to play with and fun for us to have. I'm so, so excited. I cannot wait. Gentlemen, thank you so much for thank hanging you. out with us. All right. We will talk again. I'm, I'm glad yes. the podcast is going so well too, by the way. You guys are like everywhere. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, we're it's great. The best time. We are so spoiled Good. to get to talk to the likes of you and talk about this book. It's so fun. I'm so excited. So much. Thank you for the invitation, guys. All right. Thank you. Talk get out of here. Alex. Mwah, mwah, mwah. All right. You're so cute. All right. Go get the kit. And there you have it, our conversation with Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Mayleave talking about Masterpiece, the first issue of which comes out on December 13th. 
Lisa, I really enjoy the, the part of the conversation. After, like, okay, so we spent like so much of the conversation talking about who they were as creators in the beginning and how they developed into where they are now. Like we talked for like 20 minutes before we even get to Masterpiece. Mm -hmm. But once we get to Masterpiece, I love how you find your entryway into the story by discussing your upcoming birthday and how you're experiencing the 30-year cycle for the yes. first time and how this comic really reckons with the cyclical nature of pop culture. Yeah, that conversation was really like two-pronged. It was like everything that's old is new again, but also the stuff that's new now is like completely weird and like unrelatable. <laughs> so we just had Thanksgiving and we had some of my teen nibblings there and they love to talk movies and they, and they watch horror movies that we love. They love The Shining and all that stuff. But like they will show me a meme or they'll tell me a joke or they'll tell me a story. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't have any, like, I don't have any in to even begin to understand what they're talking about. Right. Right. And that's what Alex is speaking about regarding his youngest daughter, where he is constantly having to like re up his game. If he just wants to communicate like a normal person with his child. And it's so funny because that's the way my sister-in-law talks. Like if anybody needs Gen Z translated, you can come <laughs> to me. <laughs> and, and yet I'm still like skeptical. And I'm like, do you understand what they're saying? Really? <laughs> I know you live with it full time, but like, like the cyclical nature of like pop culture and fashion. So in the nineties, I was super into the sixties stuff right. and bell bottoms were back on the shelf and the monkeys were on Nick at night. And I really just leaned into the sixties and seventies stuff. And, but I really thought I was like, I am pulling from history. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I I understood logically, like, my mom re remembers the 60s, but I'm like, but does she? And so now... Did she understand it? So now walking past Urban Outfitters, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it looks like the cast of Clueless as mannequins, <laughs> and I go like, I go like, um, I just... It just like blows my mind that the relationship that my nibblings has to the 90s is the relationship that I had to the 60s. Yeah. It's like disorienting. So that anxiety that you're feeling about all of that yes. is really at the heart of Masterpiece. Uh -huh. And that's the joy of Masterpiece is the tension between the generations. And it's going to be exciting to see Emma in her Gen Z-ness and in her brilliance be able to saw go through Zero's hoops in a way that he just never anticipated because he does not relate to her. We didn't really talk enough about Bendis' webcomics within yeah. Masterpiece. But I love, I love, so, so Emma is super brilliant, right? She's an inventor, she's yeah. an app developer, she's amazing, and yet she is so entirely naive. And right. her webcomic <laughs> looks exactly like the webcomics being made by my nibblings. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's but it's also it's like 
Bendis doing a parody of a webcomic and in doing a parody of a webcomic, it highlights how he's kind of an interloper to that world. I almost like I love seeing Bendis's illustrations again. Like yes. I, it, it makes me so freaking giddy. And when you hear that portion of the interview where I'm like, Alex, is this you doing the web comics? And like I, I like clearly I knew it wasn't Alex. I knew it was Bendis. And um and so I was like giddy, gleeful to hear Bendis talk about doing I illustrations again. Um but because it's Bendis doing web comics, it feels like Bendis doing web comics, not Emma doing webcomics, mm. not Masterpiece doing webcomics. And I almost wonder what it would be like if they had gone out and got a Zillennial oh. to do the webcomics. Yeah, yeah. Like, towards the end of the conversation, I talk about, like, are you guys worried at all about heisting yourself? Where you set yourself up to represent this Gen Z individual and you somehow miss the mark? Like, to me, I'm... This is just the first issue. I'm, like, ready to defer to their expertise. Like, they have Gen Z living in their home, eating their food. Yeah, they have a better understanding than we do, certainly. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but, the, like, I think we are both in a place where we're kind of going, like, we are, like, we are in shock that we are no longer young <laughs> and hip. You know what I mean? And, and, it, and it seems, yeah, to many of you, it, it seems... Um, Late that we are realizing this. Uh, <laughs> um, December 27th, I'm turning 40 and I'm finally going like, oh, my youth stopped and I didn't even notice. It's a state of mind is what my dad would uh, always say. Yeah, as but a kid. your dad is so old. <laughs> Oh, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I like where I am right now. I don't want to go back to my uh, teenage self in any way. I would like to be able to go and do the thing and tell my teenage self, like, why are you worrying so much? Yeah. It's totally going to be fine. Yeah. 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 You know, high school was four years and I spent so much time worrying in those four years that I like practically gave myself an ulcer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would love to go back to that kid and be like, yo, none of this matters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> none of this matters. It gets so much better. It gets so much better. Uh, you are going to have a comic book like Masterpiece in your future. Yay! Get hyped and keep that hype going because next week is going to be our fifth anniversary episode. What? Yes, Comic Book Couples Counseling is turning five on December 1st and we are celebrating by going back to one of our original relationships. Not Scott Summers and Jean Grey, but Scott Summers and Emma Frost. And we are going to return to the storyline that we used to explore that complicated couple. We are talking about Grant Morrison's new X-Men run, issues 127 through 141. Lisa and I have gone back recently and listened to a little bit of that episode, which I believe is episode four of Comic Book Couples cringy. Counseling. Very cringy. And yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> we have progressed, Lisa. We have grown as a podcast couple. And I'm super curious to see how our conversation around that couple has evolved as well. Yeah, and matured. And the plan is to take that fifth anniversary episode and then continue it into a much longer counseling session with Scott and Emma in January, doing four more episodes centered around them as a couple. Yay, I love that. I'm into it. 
Do we know yet for sure what our arcs are going to be, or should we ask the listeners? Not for sure. I have an idea of where I would like to go in, within the comics with Scott and Emma, but I would love to get some input from the listeners. If there are particular Scott and Emma stories that you want to see covered on Comic Book Couples Counseling in January, please let us know. Email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com, or hit us up on any of our socials. Yes, please. Also in December, we are going to have some really cool conversations with creators. We'll be talking to Joshua Williamson and Tom Riley about their Duke series. We'll be talking to Sarah Meyer about their memoir, Monstrous, which is one of the best comics of the year. And speaking of the best comics of the year, we're going to do our two-part best comics of 2023 episodes, The Stampies. Yay! We have a lot of reading to do before we can record those episodes, but I'm very excited to do so. You can also meet us this Sunday at the movies. Why not? We are screening Flash Gordon, co-hosted with Faye from Psycho Cinema. Marks Makes Comics did an amazing poster for us, and of course, also co-hosted by Four Color Fantasies. It's gonna be a party. It's almost sold out, right? Yeah, it's almost sold out. And we will also have a virtual introduction from Dan Schade, the current Flash Gordon cartoonist. Yes. Four o'clock, Alamo Drafthouse, Winchester. Tickets are on sale now. Link in the show notes. We also want to bring your attention to our website. We have some exclusive content over there. We spoke with Larry Hama and Chris Mooneyham about G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. And we also unveiled our massive comic book holiday gift guide. There are so many cool items on this list. We think any comic book fan in your life would enjoy them. And it really sprung from our frustration at seeing these comic book guides online and them never having having any comic books. Yeah, why not books? We love getting books. So we love getting books. We love telling people about what cool books are out there. Visit the website, link in the show notes. Check out our comic book holiday gift guide. Okay, Brad, uh, we gotta go. I gotta do another charming episode of my web comic where I'm a unicorn. This one <laughs> will feature my mother's maiden name. Where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you, Brad? You can find me on most social medias at Mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, show poster, and fifth anniversary poster, which we will unveil on Friday, December 1st, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. And throat sounds. <laughs> you know, that one was really audible. Yeah, sometimes you breathe in and it's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs>